iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find us on all social media at Believe in OWL, that's B-L-E-A-V in O-W-L, and Believe.com. This week, Nintendo finally broke news on Overwatch. Coca-Cola unveils a collectible line of Overwatch-branded bottles. And we break down week two of the playoffs. So I guess just a quick check in. How is uh, how's your week been? Um, probably not as eventful as yours. Uh, <laughs> running around. Um, for me, not not a lot. I'm just been slowly planning a uh, Halloween themed pug uh, pickup game for Overwatch. I'm gonna be trying to host it at the Academy of Art again. It's Halloween themed, but there's gonna be a lot of other quirks that is gonna make it not just its typical like pickup game so don't want to give away too much as in case of somebody who's going to be there shows up don't want to don't want to spoil anything you want it to be a surprise event essentially right right halloween themes are the best how about you just work <laughs> around places uh i yesterday i got to cover uh a stranger thing escape room at one of the libraries here and then the day before i got i covered um a couple of cancer survivor events which weren't as sad as I was expecting. The people were actually pretty happy and they gave me a free hot dog. So I was happy. There you um, go. Aside from that, just technical difficulties trying to record this podcast. Um, it yeah. was, for some reason, it was windy and not summery at all in SoCal on Sunday when we were supposed to record. And for some reason, on Sunday of all days, the wind decided to knock out the Wi-Fi in my house. So we were, I just was running around different places trying to record. And so yep. our string of technical difficulties trying to record this podcast just keeps following. So we'll mm-hmm. see if it continues to next week. See if our curse lasts. Hopefully it doesn't. So after a little bit of teasing and the rumor mill going around, Nintendo and Overwatch finally announced that the port is going to be coming to the Switch on October 15th. I'm still kind of apprehensive as to how that's really going to work with the Wi-Fi on the Switch. I I haven't had the best experience with the connectivity on Wi-Fi when I've been on my Switch on the go. Even with places that I know had reliable Wi-Fi, my Switch for some reason wouldn't connect the best. Overwatch for the Switch will be played in 30 frames per second because of the limitations of the Switch. Um, So those of you guys who are normally playing on PC or any other console right now, it's like 60 frames. Um, so you're playing with half the frames when you play on the Switch, which is kind of, it's not enough, like your eyes might be able to adjust to it, but it makes the reaction time a little bit slower. For me personally, the most interesting part is the inclusion of motion control that they teased in the trailer. Yeah, motion control is going to be interesting. I do think that, uh, if, especially if you played like Splatoon on the Switch, you're used to motion control in the way how you're able to aim with your shots and stuff. So I think that's a very interesting thing. Now, the thing that I want to point out is if there is motion control for Overwatch on Switch, 
imagine the spectating. Like, you can get ridiculously good sweep shots with motion control because you could just get a bird's eye go straight into like following the payload right if if it's done like very well and i think you know it's just a matter of time like you're gonna find somebody who can do amazing spectating on the switch if it happens to play in i mean all the overwatch spectators that i know all use xbox or ps4 controllers right now nobody uses mouse and keyboard just because of the way how you could get the slow movement like smooth movement from the joysticks so um we'll see if motion control plays anything into it i'm excited to see what motion controls really bring to overwatch especially since it is for the console the only game i really played that had any reliance on motion control was breath of the wild and i kind of hated it yeah <laughs> skyrim was trying to force me to use motion control to do aiming and it was just kind of wonky for me because i've never really been big on motion control mm-hmm. kind of lazy and just like using the joysticks to aim I think it'd be funny just to watch people just using the motion control, just kind of moving their switches around in the air. Yeah, I think it'd be it'd be great if you have a swivel chair. Not so much if you don't. Oh, right, right. The way how, at least in Splatoon when I played, it was you still use your joysticks to like kind of get it in the general area and then you use your motion controls to like fine tune your shot. So we'll see if that comes into play. I hope it's not just only motion control because then you're going to have people running around. <laughs> We could talk about the incentives that Overwatch is given in order for you know people to pick it up on the Switch. You get three months of the online play for the Switch, which isn't free. So it's nice that it's free with the game, so at least you can play it. Uh, and it also comes with the Widow, uh, the Widow Noir skin. The Widow Noir skin's nice. I haven't seen too many people who actually play with it. What I do think would be really cool as an incentive to go along with the skin thing is just nintendo specific skins like i know a big one that i saw people were asking for or hoping for was a mario brothers pair of skins for hanzo and genji i think that would be pretty cool just give me master chief soldier 76 please you would probably get like kratos reinhardt for ps4 that'd be pretty sick Ooh, yeah yeah um but like yeah we're just brainstorming here uh blizzard take notes having console specific skins would bring players off of you know the whole pc half but then you could have like the blizzard crossover skins be exclusive for pc do you think you'll be picking this up for switch um i mean for the price that it's at it's at like 40 dollars right now um which isn't bad um i mean if I, I would say that, no, I won't go out and physically find it. I think if I got it as a gift, I wouldn't, like, return it. Um, you know? It's just, like, I would I would try it on on the Switch just to, just to see what it's like. Right. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm not, like, excited to go out and get it. Yeah, same for me. Um, I'm already paying. I'm, I'm a console pleb, so I'm already paying for PlayStation Plus. I don't really want to have to pay for another online service i guess for players who don't have a gaming pc or don't have the other big consoles this is kind of a a win for them i mean i feel like it's also a win for the overwatch community as well like you're getting more players involved in the game and having that as you know like just growing the fan base is important moving on and i guess in similarly related news um because of the the tease of overwatch there were rumors that the next 
Super Smash Bros. character would be potentially Tracer or D.Va. We found out this week that that next character is not actually going to be anybody from Overwatch. It's going to be Terry Bogard from Fatal Fury, which I don't think necessarily discounts D.Va or Tracer or anyone from Overwatch coming in. Nintendo did announce that even though there's only one character left in this specific initial fighter pack that they released they're currently planning on including more characters yeah i feel like it won't be in this i don't think it will be in this fighter pass i think it will be like super far down the line but if they wanted to really cash in on the fact that overwatch is coming for the switch they probably would have announced it uh during that nintendo direct um the the thing that i i'm thinking that they might do is give them the uh sands from undertale treatment where they just give it to the me gunner uh with a skin um i don't know who would we, who we would have i think me swordsman would be best for genji if you're gonna go for that kind of cross baby diva as a as a gunner yeah it might get a couple of you know me skins which i think would be okay but i don't think that there would there would be a full character for overwatch now how how do you think the overwatch community would respond to getting that kind of inclusion into the game do you think it'd be enough um i think that regardless of what we get we'll we'll deal with it i mean if we get a full character that's that's great that's awesome it shows that overwatch is you know impactful enough to be joining the ranks of you know solid snake and and sonic the hedgehog and stuff like that so um i mean we were already included in a player number one so already player one we're, we're kind of there it's just like is it big enough to hold a legacy? Okay, so moving on. Um, if you watched the stream at all this week, you probably have noticed the they're pushing pretty hard on the new Overwatch branded Coke bottles. Um, there's one for each team, plus one bottle that's just for Overwatch and one that's specifically for the League. Um, they're currently listed at $5 per bottle on the Coca-Cola website. So it's about, if you wanted to get all of them, which I read online some people were planning on doing, you're paying $110, but at least you get shipping free on orders over $60. Yeah, so you gotta order a lot. <laughs> I mean, if you if you enjoy Overwatch and you want the, uh, I guess the good part about it would be to show it off in your uh, your collection if you were to have... I know yeah. I know a couple of people when I when I streamed with them they have like the whole desk set up with like each team's hat mm -hmm. uh like their jersey if you know you have that kind of stuff and uh and showing off each team this would be a nice little addition to that but I don't think it's worth at least for like the normal consumer I mean you could probably get your regular like your favorite team and maybe the Overwatch League one itself um, but we're not all gonna go out and we're not gonna yeah. drink them. That's the thing. Like you know, it's a collector's bottle. We're not. We're not right. gonna do that. And it's five dollars a bottle, which can buy me five cokes normally. Yeah. <laughs> um, I gotta say, this is not the weirdest branding partnership of merch I've ever seen. Um, I think Star Wars has had a, a few weirder ones. I know Disney likes to partner with Dole and put their stickers on bananas because. I guess merchandise branded bananas sell better. <laughs> I, I guess so. I mean, they have that dole stand in in Disneyland. Yeah. Um, 
I think they were one of the first investors in Disneyland, which is the reason why they got that. But yeah, nobody's going to buy a banana with Mickey Mouse on it. It's just because it's got Mickey on it doesn't mean I'm going to buy that banana. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think are some of the weirdest kind of brand partnerships and merchandise that you've seen? The weird one? Okay. Um, Domino's and Hatsune Miku. Really? Uh, yes. That was that was a thing uh, for a little bit in Tokyo, and I really, ex- I, okay, I I was excited for it because I was like, okay, there's on the Domino's app, Miku would show up and like say how far your pizza was away from you, uh-huh. and how long it would take. Um, I know Miku in the states, I think, uh, had a Toyota partnership as well. So next up, Overwatch League and Hatsune Miku. Um, we just got to make that connection. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, those, those are some of the weird like crossover things that I've seen, at least. Um, Overwatch itself, we have Lucio O's, okay? Like, we have... Right. Oh, man. Video game those. branded cereal. I miss those. Did you, did I, you, did you have them? I, I bought a couple boxes. I found them at a Target one time. Yeah, um, they, they're like vanilla Cheerios, if anybody right, hasn't, yeah. like... They weren't bad. They were pretty good. I liked them. I've I've saved the boxes. I was going to probably make a folder out of the boxes. And I still have a an unopened one in my pantry that I bought for my brother, but he has not eaten. So they're just yeah, sick. I, yeah, I have an unopened one just chilling in my collection over here. <laughs> what, what did uh, you think of them? I thought they were pretty good. Uh, some people were like, I, I felt like some people were disappointed that it wasn't like fruit flavored because um, green and yellow makes you think of fruit yeah exactly like i wouldn't mind i feel like lemon lime would have been weird but like maybe a pineapple like oh. kind of style one would be okay but i don't know how pineapple milk would taste that might be weird so that's the only reason why cool. yeah waking up with pineapple milk is gonna be kind of weird so uh yeah if we're going into weird overwatch merchandise you know Lucio O's is probably like the furthest we could go out right now. I feel like they missed the opportunity just to call them Lucio's. Yeah, I mean, oh, there kind of is like you could have just put the S at the end. Yeah, exactly. They just put the put the hyphen at Lucy, you know, yeah. and then dash O. Yeah, we get we get the picture. They're Lucio branded merchandise. Now, now, do we get Hanzo's? Ooh. Like later down the line. Like it's just like a hundred percent salt. <laughs> <laughs> I mean he's he's never happy. Like Hanzo doesn't have any happy skins. He's always like stoic and always, you know, angry at his brother. It's just like hundred percent Genji hate taste. Who do you think's angrier, Hanzo or Reaper? Hmm. Okay. I feel like Hanzo's just like butt hurt all the time. <laughs> so he he's got a reason to be angry. Like Reaper is just like, oh yeah, I'm I'm dark and spooky now. Uh so I have to fit the role. But like yeah. I feel like Hanzo has a legit reason to be pissed because he feels like he betrayed his brother and he's pissed off about that. Right. But like Reaper's just like, oh yeah, I just I, I don't like Morrison. I'm gonna join the the dark emo crew. <laughs> He joined the dark side. They had cookies. They did. Now they have the best meta at the moment. So I feel like that that's really how it goes down, essentially. Uh, mm-hmm. Hanzo, Hanzo is 100% saltier than 
than Reaper. <laughs> salt Bay. Oh god, he needs a Salt Bay skin. Oh my god. Yes. No, give it give me that as an emote. So after I shoot somebody in the face, I could like sprinkle salt on them. <laughs> oh, that would be beautiful. Yeah, we already have the uh Yeah, we have the we have the Anna sleep uh the candy one from Halloween. Right. So yeah, just kinda tweak that and give Hanzo the uh the salt bay one where he just flicks salt at you. Just throws an entire salt shaker. Yeah, there you go. Alright, I think that wraps up our our new segment. Let's yep. get into the the games of the week. Week two of the playoffs. A whole bunch of just games that, that we got to got to watch today. Or over the course of this weekend. There was so many. We have like what four pages of notes? No, no. Way eight, more than that. No. Four docs full of notes. Yeah. Let's see how many pages we have total. Twenty seven we have almost thirty pages of notes. Yeah. There there's a lot going on this week. So we're gonna try to save you guys the uh the fluff. We're just gonna try to highlight some of the bigger matches. Um at least going over one per per series. Yeah. So I guess we start on day one if you want to go into uh, yeah, number one. one versus number eight. Titans versus the Dynasty. So there was a lot of history with these teams um, going all the way back to Apex and, um, you know, contenders later on. Um, it was Lunatic High, which was the Dynasty team that was made by, you know, Toby, Jaehong, Miro, like those guys um, were the original Lunatic High. And then Runaways is what Titans ended up becoming. So um both of these teams were the top of were the best of the best in korea so it was great to see them finally face off in the playoff series and uh watching them go head to head i think a lot of this series was you saw titans being the more aggressive team where the dynasty were kind of always having to respond to what the titans was dictating just because that's their play style i feel like they're a more of a passive team. I feel like when it came down to these matches, it does show how much the game has changed. If you consider uh, the dynasty were going into the overwatch league, they were considered the best team. One of the best teams going into this um, right. because of their, you know, pedigree and things that they've done before. Um, and the Titans are pretty much like the new, like fresh blood coming into the league. They came in season two they're showing to the dynasty like how much the game has changed. It used to be able to slow down the pace and dictate by certain picks and then pushing through, but now the Titans could just like push their way through and be aggressive, and that's kind of the style that they really built themselves on. And because of that, they're able to get um, ult advantage really quickly. I think for me, the biggest map was Numbani, which Soul did win. This was map two. The map started out with the Titans putting up their Sim and Bastion, Sol went with a Farah Genji dive, and they had a Hammond and a Diva. Right off the bat, they're able to get they were able to get two ticks before the Titans stabilized. So it forces them to rotate around, which is very difficult for especially a team that's trying to run Bastion. You have to set up and like hold the fort essentially. But the way how the Dynasty really worked around it is if they get a pick, their spawns are quicker. And with the Hammond and Diva, they're able to displace people and then get those picks and then force them to rotate. So that's what opened the door. Obviously, it ate up a lot of their clock when they were going into it. But eventually, once they got a couple picks and they forced them to regroup, they the Titans couldn't reset 
back to the place that they wanted to. Point two Soul had a lot of momentum going from that. The Titans were able to stabilize eventually with about a minute remaining, and they did take the point, which gave them about a minute and 30 to go to point three. Um, I think the biggest part for me at the end was at the end of this match where Marvel came in with that big four-man Sigma ult to stop the Titans from being able to stabilize and contest, which again just shows how key Sigma is and how big the timing of his ult is and how it can really completely change the outcome of a fight. Being able to use Flux, especially at a very critical time, like during a last push recontest, literally wins the game at some points. If anything, if you take away anything from this, uh, you should learn that you should split up the way how you roll out uh, when you come back for a final push. Because if you get, for example, they had four people going out of one door. Um, if they were able to get maybe one or two people going out the other door, they probably would have been able to look at to contest. Um, but because of that, Marvel was just able to lock them down, find the right proper, find the proper time to pop flux. And it uh, really won them the game there. Moving on to the Spark v. Gladiators. For this one, the favorite was that the Spark would take it, right? Yeah, I had the Spark taking it um, in my bracket. I felt like they had a stronger tank line, and I thought that the Sigma the Sigma line would be stronger from them, but, you know, Void is something else. And this, this match was actually the Gladiators' first win on a playoff series. I think for me, what stood out about the Gladiators was they weren't willing to give up any of their points most teams if you see the progress is pretty close to being completely taken a lot most teams will cut their losses and set up for on the next point for a stronger defense but the gladiators didn't do that they fought tooth and nail for every little bit of progress the the charge used to do this quite a bit they would take the point early and then they would pick heroes that would recontest like you know during a desperation push you would pick like hammond and reaper and just like things that could get to the point quickly so i see that the gladiators were kind of using that same tactic a little bit where they just wanted to contest the point and just touch it a little bit um and fighting for every percentage does make a difference especially later in the game when um especially if you have like 97 percent, your opponents only have like five seconds to get back to the point a big moment that i saw was on uh rialto which was an, a gladiators win during the spark attack at the very end of i believe point two the spark were pretty much gonna completely take it there was no one to really contest except i think big goose was there and it, it seemed like they were going to get it if they just eliminated big goose but big goose was able to drop the beat to contest by himself on that point really allowing the rest of his team to come in and just completely push the spark back when you're at this high in the game and we're this late into a match every little bit of point counts so just seeing how effective it was against the spark time after time that tenacity was on full display here exactly and it also shows the importance of sound barrier in this meta as well um not only like you can use sound barrier to contest and hold it down but it's also very important to save it against sigma's ultimate now since we're not using we're not using it in the way how most people thought we would lucio has a lot of um he has a lot of impact considering that He's got speed built into him, which is something that no other character can really provide. And that's why he's favored over Zenyatta in this case. Like his mobility and ability to just kind of get around and also save his teammates is important. Um, 
in terms of just you know if it's just sigma versus lucio or zenyatta zenyatta will survive and keep his team above the half threshold and survive that way but beat could also do the same thing but it costs you your barrier um but the utility of having speed with lucio is more important here i think we can move on to day two i don't think that there was much to take away from this i felt like a lot of teams including or a lot of people including myself uh underestimated the gladiators coming into this Um, right we haven't seen them on this patch at this point right like this was the first time that we got to see the gladiators play knowing that void was there doing some crazy stuff yeah uh, i'm glad that teams have been practicing sigma and we got to see it in full flux here moving on to day two we had for the first match of the day it was the london spitfire versus the new york excelsior which was another upset yeah in, in my opinion i thought you know nyxl was going to be washed up again like you know history usually repeats itself if anything it just shows that nyxl and you could say excels in this meta um the 222 rollock enabled sbb to come back which is something that we've all been waiting for all overwatch fans have been waiting for this um because we didn't get to see him at all during goats meta i also felt like the spitfire were coming into this with a little bit of a disadvantage considering that new york was able to watch their games going into this right um so um the spitfire essentially have tape of them and nyxl can study study their opponents figure out what they do best and take full advantage of that um one of the things that I wanted to mention, the Spitfire aren't running Bird Ring. Um, I feel like he would make an impact if he was actually in, but I don't I don't know what the deal is. Um, but he's like a hit scan specialist. He was very good on his McCree. So I want to see if that shows up playing in a factor later down the line for the Spitfire. So yeah, so Anubis was my big pick because you saw Libero on the Symmetra and they came around from the back room where they were going up against London's double tank kind of bunker comp. You had SBB on the Bastion, Libero on the Symmetra, and then Libero was just pretty much able to melt all the shields, melt people down with the ramped up sim damage. SBB was also able to just go bullet hell, and they were able just to cap that point and have six minutes and seven seconds in their bank. That's insane. And no deaths on that push. Yeah, and then by the time that... Even when they got to point B, it was 537 left on the clock. They didn't die that entire push. It was insane. Like, NYXL aggressive. They did exactly what they did. They had a game plan going into this push. They were like, they're going to be running, they're going to be running double shield. We got to melt them as quickly as we can and just get to the point. And I guess the other incentive of that push uh, for NYXL was the fact that London had a 415 bank, which was pretty quick considering that, you know, it's 2 CP. But 4.15 is still a lot of time. But NYXL being insane and pushing through without dying at all was even more impressive. I think the the biggest takeaways of both this map and I guess for the overall for this round were the power of the Symmetra Bastion combo when you're going up against the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. meta. Both those heroes are going to melt down those shields really fast. And then your tanks really have no response you're, unless your DPS can get in there very quickly and get rid of those characters. Your composition's going to fail and you're going to have to reset. 
Excelsior had a lot more creativity that they displayed on this map, and they made London kind of respond to them and play the game that they wanted to at their pace, which paid off for New York with the win. Yeah, and it shows why NYXL was the top of the Atlantic division. They're they're not out of this at all. They're very strong, and I'm glad to see, you know, some of these old uh, older players that we haven't seen in a while come back and be able to play in this two 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 meta. Do you think that the fact that they didn't choke when faced up against the London Spitfire had a majority to do with their ability to watch London's previous footage? I feel like it was a little bit of both. Um, I feel like knowing your opponent is actually really big in Overwatch. Um, figuring out what your opponent likes to play. It's like it's the same way as like in boxing or another like any other like mixed martial arts. You watch your opponent to see their tendencies. NYXL just having that tape available was a huge advantage for them. But I also feel like they they were prepared. They were ready for this meta as well. We saw a lot of that coming out from Sabiolde and Libero. Uh, they they understand exactly what they wanted to do when they were trying to push in and win this game. So our next matchup for day two was the San Francisco Shock versus the Atlanta Rain, and this was a this was a big one. Yeah, this I, I felt like you could make an entire episode, an entire podcast on this matchup because uh, it was so back and forth in the way how it was done. Um, yeah, they pushed it to a, a seventh map, so exactly. it was no by no means a one sided domination by the Shock like so many people were predicting. I also have to respect the way how uh, Atlanta played their played their personnel. Essentially, they have a very strong team, and this is coming from a guy who is a shock fan themselves. But like the way how they they executed, especially with Gator on on that uh, Sigma, you have to mm-hmm. respect that at some point. Right, Gator was huge in this map. Uh, he. His ability to do damage and save his flux for the most important points kind of really turned the tide for them. I also feel like that came down to um, the shock not necessarily knowing how to run the the sigma yet. It's more like they didn't have the uh, they they didn't have the experience going into it. And I know that I was talking with I was talking with Nevix about it about learning how to you know get into a new hero, especially knowing that there's going to be more tanks and more supports coming to the game in order to balance out that roster. Um, are we going to see, if we see more tanks in that case, you know, uh, the bench players are going to be the ones who are going to be focusing in on that. Um, so I was asking him like, Hey, when Sigma dropped, are you going to be focusing on this? And he's like, it's probably something that they're going to make me learn. Um, and so I, guess they just put gator in he just figured out figured it out a lot quicker um but yeah it's gonna it's gonna be interesting to see how that goes on we we talked about the importance of symmetra for the nyxl and spitfire game but also we kind of had it here too with lijong tower on the night market which was the second map they played you had baby bay come in with the symmetra and just completely melt the entire team for the shock. He put up his barrier at that point, and he, he got that barrier fairly quickly. So besides Symmetra also having that huge damage and that ability to bust shields, she also has the ability to put up a huge cross-map shield so that you not only have three shields, but you can also kind of let your tanks focus more on damage at that point. 
and let their shields go back up on cooldown. Exactly. It's it's important to know that you can use that resource in order to save your tank's resources. And when it comes down to Symmetra in general, it's just like if you have barriers, you're gonna get you're gonna get ran over. And Baby Bay understood this to the fullest effect, especially going into this match. The most important part of Symmetra's wall is that it's cross map. You could throw it from literally anywhere. If you're able to throw it and displace your opponents by forcing them to play to one side or another, actually limits their play space, which is important for any team, really. If, you, if you're able to control how much space they have, um, it makes it easier on your team to, in order to take space. Especially on Lijong Tower, like control points, being able to take space and splitting up the team is really important. Now I think we have to talk about map 7. Uh... Do we have to talk about maps? <laughs> Just what happened at the end. Yeah, oh, they, they they done goofed. And <laughs> I mean, they they said it in the best way possible. Super had a interview later. They asked him what happened against the rain match. And he's like, well, we, we messed up. Um, but he said the only team that is strong enough to beat us is ourselves. So if anything, they need to sharpen up on what they needed to do in order to push and become a better team. And hopefully we get to see that as they climb through the loser's bracket. So for, for this map, um, the shock attacked first and it, it started pretty well with them. Uh, Moth was able to get an initial push with Lucio and boop three people into the water. So that allowed for a really good, strong first push um, up until the end where they got held right at the beginning of that last building corridor at point three and then it was time for the rain to attack and uh, you, you, you want to talk about this part uh, i mean yeah first off uh the rain started out with a pirate ship uh which is essentially you put the you put the bastion on the payload and you just let it fly it, it's hard to collapse on that um especially if you're the shock trying to get in um trying to do the double shield thing it's just going to get melted by the pirate ship so they just kind of cruise their way through um, by the time they got to point B, they had five minutes in the bank already going into it. And then Smurf went Hammond and Sinatra on Tracer. Now this is the way, book-wise, this is the right answer. The reason for that is you want to be able to displace your opponent. Um, even if they're relying so much on the Bastion, you displace them, you get the picks, and then you collapse on whoever's left. It was a right move, but it did not play out in their favor. It does rely on very good execution and they didn't quite have that going into that and then they had four minutes and 30 seconds added to their bank by the time that they got to point two so they got it was kind of a clean push essentially for the middle section once they got to yeah okay so point three c9 there was yeah i mean they they said it themselves they pushed as hard as they can they they knew that they were gonna win uh win the game itself if they forgot that there's an objective it's the same way as like in mobas it's about objective gaming uh if you forget the objective you end up losing the game it doesn't matter how many kills you have uh it's all about getting the objective and the thing is before that c9 and for, for those of you who don't know c9 uh c9 is refers to the cloud nine esports gaming franchise i guess you could call it mm -hmm. um was it's called that because in so many of their games the cloud nine teams will forget about the objective and leave it at the most crucial points, causing them to lose the game. Right at the very end, the Shock C9'd on the point, 
they had so many ultimates that they could have used in this battle. Like this battle was supposed to be theirs to win, but they stepped away from the point when they needed to be on it just for even the, even the slightest second. Yeah, and it, it shows that pros aren't immune to C9 either. It's something that you could easily get caught in. And playing on a team for my college, um, you do get tunnel vision when you're playing in some of these games. You're just like, okay, we get, we get these kills, we push on forward, and then you forget like, oh, wait, they had a May on the point the entire time. This is an inching the cart all the way to the next checkpoint when we're trying to push up at their spawn. So yeah, you can get caught out like that. Uh, you just gotta be very, be very aware of what's going on. Okay, so day three. So Spark versus Dynasty. Let's actually no. I wanted to say for for day three for me, um, I didn't have as much fun watching this because the two 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 was supposed to add variety into into the game for us. But I think today was the day where we saw most of just the Reap Fist Agents of Shield, and it just kind of it kind of got boring for me. There was a little bit of variety with some Sim and Bastions and Maze, but just in the end, the the overwhelming amount of Reaper Doomfist plays, while impressive and really cool to see those characters being played, it kind of got stale for me. We're developing a meta now. Um, it only took a week, two weeks, for the pros to be playing on this patch to find out what the best meta is for, for it already. So... You know, just like every other game, there are going to be metas, there are going to be shifts of uh, popular heroes and whatnot. Overall, teams are finding their footing and what's good and what you can run. Hopefully, Blizzard is willing to make a couple changes in order to make everybody balanced or niche in a way where they counter something else. Essentially, if there's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., we know that the, the break right now is like Sim Bastion, but who breaks Sim Bastion right now? Or who breaks Reaper Doomfist? Uh, not a lot of characters do that at the moment. So that's that's exactly what they have to figure out and balance. Let's get into day three matches. Um, so Spark vs. Dynasty were the first one that we saw today. Yeah, I feel like this matchup was... It was interesting to see, at least, because the Spark were very good against the, uh, the Gladiators. And the Dynasty just... The Dynasty did put up a fight against the Titans. So going into these, uh, going into this match, you at least knew that their opponents were tough. So we'll see who comes out on top. So I think we should highlight the we we were actually looking at two maps in particular, Eichenwald and Temple of Anubis. Map two was Eichenwald. Um, it was Soul's pick. Now Eichenwald has a lot of uh history, especially in Korean contenders. It's one of the comfort pick maps it's almost like king's row in a way where um teams would pick king's row in the west at least um eichenwald is kind of their same equivalent um in the korean circuit but yeah the spark end up attacking first it's still the the reaper fist meta the spark take point one really quickly you have to consider marvel even though um we know how history plays out. Marvel is still an insane Sigma. His fluxes are able to catch out. He caught five um, on the initial choke on uh, Eichenwald on point B where they got held by the door. It's just able to to control them very well and make sure that they can't do anything. But, you know, Sigma gets countered hard by Doomfist and the fact that, you know, barriers don't do anything. And if you already use accretion, you're you're wide open. So... They end up pushing through point two and moving on to point three. They had a minute 30 because they did it in overtime. The Spark end up pushing. They get held on the first fight, but they reset. 
And then Bozzy opens with a solid meteor strike. It's followed up by a coalescence. And it was a very good initial push, but Fleta had the uh, shadow step into Death Blossom into the backline that ended up denying the push. And Sol was able to hold him off there. So Sol was able to hold before the third point was capped. And that's something to keep in mind there um, as they move on into the next uh, half of it where the Dynasty had their attack first. They did have a slower start. The thing that wins these fights nowadays, if you watch the Overwatch League, is Coalescence. Whichever Moira gets her Coalescence first ends up pushing the game and making it, uh, making the tempo, pretty much pushes the tempo up and allows them to do what they want to do. It creates so much space and it, it does damage and healing at the same time, so you have to worry about both two things at once. Yeah, it does damage and it heals, and the most important part is that it goes through barriers. Uh, it doesn't it totally ignores barriers completely. So even if your Reaper is behind a barrier, usually you can't heal that uh, as Moira. You can just put Coalescence on them and make sure that they stay alive the entire time. So it's a lot to think about. And it's just a huge beam that just deals a ton of damage and heals your team. Sustain. Um, so being able to pop that early does help with the initial push. Um, and it does help the Soul Dynasty as they push into point two. They had 4 minutes and forty seconds, uh, 45 seconds left on their clock at that point. The Spark ended up stabilizing after um, a couple of, whole, um, couple of holds here and there. And it cost them a lot. It was a very costly uh, hold. It cost them three ults in order to do that, um, to hold them on bridge. Once again, Ryu Jehong coming in, getting another Coalescence and pushing through allows the Dynasty to inch their way through. It They tried to stop it essentially these the spark commit five ults to stop it and there was a minute 22 left um and the spark had um they didn't have much to do left so um the dynasty were just able to push through once again forced the overtime so a minute 30 on the clock they essentially open with a uh a graviton or gravitic flux with marvel and then the flood of death blossom was able to get the initial push and then Soul was just able to roll off that momentum. Um, and yeah, they end up taking it. So Soul Dynasty does end up winning Eichenwald. And if anything, it shows that the Spark have a better attack lineup with Godsby and Bozzy. But if the Dynasty can keep themselves alive with Marvel's uh, accretion being able to stun them, as well as Ryu Jehong getting the healing and coalescence quicker, um, it does allow them to win. Um in especially longer maps. And this is the reason why Soul picked Eigenwald to go into this anyways. So the other map that we wanted to look at for this was Anubis, which the Hangzhou Spark did win. Um, so the first part of the match, the Spark attacked. Soul here did a really good job of holding the points. For the first point, they were able to hold until the Spark only had about 25 seconds left. And even then, the Spark had to burn six of their ults in order to get that point. So they went into point two with a two minute and 20 second bank. And they were they were almost at two ticks with about a minute left. But the Dynasty were able to kind of stabilize at that point and deny any further progress. And they were able to hold that point before the second tick could finally get completed by the Spark. So things were looking good for the Dynasty. Um, and then it was their turn to attack. We had another mirrored Reap Fist AOS. But the thing about this was the Soul made progress. They did get a few early quick kills. They were able to predict where 
the spark would attack with their doomfist and their reaper they were able to deny it but despite all of that ability to read and ability to get those early picks they weren't able to capitalize it on it enough so that even though they they were able to claim the high ground and push the spark back a bit the spark were able to wait a couple seconds and just climb right back onto that high ground and push soul pack even further but soul were eventually able to cap first point they had three minutes and 30 seconds going into the second they were denied a few times on their pushes they had about two right before they had two minutes left the soul burned a few of their ults to try to get some progress on there but they didn't get even a single tick they had 30 seconds for the, a one last push and spark was still able to hold there so despite some of the good holding that soul was able to do when the spark attacked they didn't have enough momentum to capitalize on the progress that they were able to make when they were attacking and soul unfortunately lost this map and they did lose this series to the hungju spark and then we saw at the very end when soul was finally knocked out of the bracket that we saw ruji hung and toby with their their post interview they were very pretty emotional they said that they were sorry to the fans of soul for letting their team down um i think it was a really good tender moment i think it was it's good that uh, overwatch league on the broadcast side was showing the reactions from the teams that weren't able to push forward um it shows how much this game means to them it shows that they have emotions they're invested they this is a big thing for them they're not they're not robots yeah i totally agree with that whole statement um the fact that they were able to show that uh post-game interview with uh jayong and toby it shows that not only to older Overwatch fans who were fans of Lunatic High, like, yeah, these guys are still pouring their heart and soul into this game. They haven't given up. But it also shows to, like, people who don't necessarily follow Overwatch that, yeah, this is something that we all pour our hearts and souls into. This is something that, just like athletes, when they lose, like, a big game, like, you do get emotional. You're like, you've worked so hard your entire year to get to this point, uh, only, only to lose it here. You do feel that. And this is just the equivalent of like, you know, once again, losing the playoffs. But if anything, the takeaway from this is that Seoul had a very good season. Um, it's just that whoever they were ended up matching against were like hyper aggressive. And that's something that they, they've always had issues with is uh, teams that push really quickly. Um, but the thing that I'm looking forward to, obviously, Marvel is going to come back as a freaking beast next season is Sigma is probably one of the most effective Sigmas that I've seen. Um, very clean in the way how they take the fights. And I want to see more Sigma come come back, um, especially Marvel on Sigma. And I want to see the Soul team come back with a vengeance next year. And I think that they can. Um, the, the one thing that has me a little on edge, though, is that with Ryu Jae-hong and Toby getting up in, in years, I hope that this isn't like their last run and them saying like, we're going to retire after this. Um, I do want to see more of the support line duo of uh, Jae-hong and Toby still continue to be a dominant force because right now with this meta shift, they're looking pretty good. And if this continues on into future into the future of Overwatch, they're definitely going to have more impact going into it. Shall we move on to the next one? Oh, yeah. Uh, let's go. Spitfire v. Shock. Yeah, the Spitfire and the Shock game. Uh, uh, I'm not biased, but it was pretty one-sided. <laughs> uh, there's not a lot oh. to really take away from this. 
it was a full steamroll, four zero. If they don't, if they play flawlessly, they are one of the scariest teams uh, in the league. But then again, it does come down to the way how they execute, and they they answered back um, from the day before. They're like, yeah, we we gave up or we lost on map seven. So we got to come down here through the lower bracket and just destroy any team that comes in our way. And unfortunately, the Spitfire was was their first target. And yeah, they they did not give them any space whatsoever. What the what London did was they were very good at getting the initial point control. They were good at getting that big first attack and getting that first big progress. But the Shock were able to flip that around very easily and once they kind of understood how the Spitfire was playing, they were able to make the game go their way. It didn't really matter that London got that first progress because they were just going to flip the point anyway and take it all. Yeah, it's it's that kind of ordeal that I have or that every player faces when they're playing control point. It's you you give up your first push and you commit so many resources like ultimates or coalescence, right? On the next push, your opponents are going to have the same amount, if not more, ultimates going into you. So um, that's why I've seen teams like the Shock or some other teams where they will pers- they will purposely just go in. Um, they will lose the fight just so that they have ults so that they could retake it the next fight and know that they have uh, a better ult progression. But yeah, overall, this was a steamroll. And I, I do want to talk about map four you want to like the whole substitution thing um right right it could either be mind games or the fact that the shock are just gonna flex on their opponents how how do you take the four man sub that was a flex that was such a flex that's that's them saying i think that that, that was them making up for yesterday saying that yes london was last year's championship team yes they are a good team but we're so good that we can swap out our starting lineup and then still take this absolutely no problem. Yeah. I, I was looking at it as a flex or, you know, it was just like, we have to get super on stage. So we have to take the interview. Uh, <laughs> that was another thing, but the, the whole mind game of being like, you're down. Oh, three against, you know, the season or the stage two champions who didn't drop a single map uh, during that time. And they sub out four of their main players for like their bench players that's got to be like a huge mind game hit to to anybody just unfortunate that it had to be london yeah i don't know if the shock are actually going to pull out stuff like this even more it's really cool to see um architect in as well because you know he was selected for team korea so seeing him get some play time and as well as nevix he's been slowly working on um on that Sigma, it's great to see him uh, back on stage. My favorite map to watch from them was the was the Horizon map because we got to see a lot of different heroes come out there. Uh, London had Hanzo and Farah um, with a Zenyatta too. There was a lot of Bastion. For the Shock's attack, they pulled out the Symmetra uh, Bastion and just were able to take that point so quickly. Um for the Spitfire's attack, Sinatra and Prophet jumped on Tracer and had a, a very fast pea shooter battle. I think it was definitely the most entertaining map of the day to watch. Just because 
we got to see so many of those different heroes and just see them used in the hands of people who understood them and were able to use their abilities to a T. Sinatra and Prophet are both two of the scariest tracers of all time. Like, if anybody has watched the tapes from the inaugural season finals, like, everybody remembers Prophet popping off and killing four at the end of uh, Volskaya to, to take the win. Sinatra made his name on Tracer and hit scan heroes like that. Um, and that's the reason why he was selected for Team USA for the past, you know, two, three years now. He's just very good at what he does. And it was great to see these two go head to head, especially on Horizon. It was just a fun, like, it was like, did we just turn back the clock and bring back the Tracer meta? Or are these, these two guys are now enabled again because of the new uh, roll lock. But yeah, another thing that I wanted to highlight from this, not only was it a shock dominance thing, but um, Violet on the shock. Most people give credit to, you know, the Sinatra or Architect or Striker for doing, you know, the, the damage or super and Choi for doing the whole tank thing. Nobody talks about Moth and, uh, and Violet, but Violet has the best numbers in the league in terms of damage um, and healing on his Zen, um, even better than Jaehong this season. Um, so yeah, he's, he's very scary. Um, and the fact that they put him on the main healers and they let uh, Moth um, play like Baptiste. Um, but we saw his honest sleep darts from like across the map. Uh, we see his uh, amount of pressure that he could apply as Moira and all that stuff. So we, I'm glad that we got to see it in play. And hopefully we get to see more of that. But yeah, let's move on to day four. Day four was the upper brackets as the Gladiators and the Titans, and then also the NYXL and uh, the Atlanta Reign. I didn't see as much of today. I only know that there was a bit, quite a bit more variation than the past couple of days. So I was happy, but I was at work for most of this. Um, yeah, there was... this is this is you. This is all me. Okay, so day four, Gladiators versus Titans. Um, these matchups um, were very, very close, in my opinion. Um, so, you know, the Titans were coming in, uh, still highest ranked seed. Uh, Gladiators took the win over the Spark in order to be here. Um, but they were showing that they can do they can do a lot of different things here. Um, hydration was great on his Doomfist. We got to see that. Um, the fact that Doomfist has one hit kill potential is very important. And it also ignores barriers, which um, is the reason why Doomfist is picked quite a bit. The one map that I do want to highlight is Rialto. Now, map for Rialto, Gladiators picked this. Typically, it is not a it's not a it's not a good pick. Titans um, have a solid number on this, but in terms of the Gladiators, they they were able to pull this off. Now, the reason for that is hydration is a crazy good. Farah, okay? If you don't keep track of where Hydration is, um, he will do things like four-man barrage your backline. And we got to see that um, when they were trying to push on point A, Hydration actually flanks around. They had a Baptiste on a... Um, it was Baptiste, Bastion, Arissa, and I think one other person was up there. Essentially, Hydration just went behind them 
four-man barrage the entire team off the high ground and they were just able to push through so yeah you got to keep track of where hydration is or else you're going to get punished and because of that um, momentum hydration was able to continue to get barrages he ends up getting a three-man barrage on point b um, and then gladiators cap that and then they do the same thing and they push on forward as Sherford just opens the door as Reaper and they cap with a minute 17 on the clock. Um, so the Gladiators get a great initial push off the back of Hydration. Um, the Titans um, go on their attack next. And once again, um, this was just mistakes on the Gladiators half. They lost Roar twice in this initial push. And without an Arisa barrier, your team is not going to be able to survive. And we saw that as Hawksaw was this time on the on the Fara. And if you lose your barrier, everybody is open and free to the Fara. And there's no one to contest it at that point, so they're just able to take it. Um, so yeah, it's pretty much they lost Roar in the first fight. Then the second one, Hawksaw gets a 3k barrage, returning the favor from hydration. Um and Soman Su is on Bastion. So essentially, it gives you two things to worry about. You have to worry about the far in the sky, but you also have to worry about Soman Su just sitting on the Bastion. Essentially, the Gladiators end up pushing it to the end, um, but it does cost them overtime, so they only get a minute. Um, the Titans go for the initial attack, but they were shut down by Sure 4 on their own Bastion and Hydration on Farah again. Um, because Hydration is on Farah, he's the better Farah against Hawksaw. So we saw that matchup, and they were shut down with very little distance. Um, Gladiators do the same thing. They just distract the backline um, with Hydration this time, and they just were able to push the point um, as the Gladiators take uh, Rialto. And it was a very quick take, and if anything, it just shows that you cannot discount Farah on certain maps. And um, especially when it came down to setting up barrages, both teams executed very well. But Hydration was able to uh, inch their way and get that win. Sadly, it doesn't go in their favor. Um, as the analysts and myself have said before, um, Vancouver really learns their opponents the longer you play against them. So the fact that these are first of four best of sevens uh, maps, it gives Vancouver a lot of time to learn your learn how the Gladiators work. And um, yeah, they were able to take advantage of that as they go back to like Reaper Fist and stuff like that. Um, but that does mean that the Gladiators are going to be facing the uh, the shock in the, in the lower bracket. So that's going to be interesting because Super at the end of the... Spitfire match said he'd rather see he'd rather see Vancouver in the lower bracket because he thinks that he has a better chance against them and the Gladiators have a very strong um, tank line with Void so he says that that's going to be an interesting matchup uh, to see but we will see that in this upcoming week for sure I guess we'll go into the last one now there's a couple of things that I want to highlight with the next matchup which was the rain versus the New York Excelsior um, there was a little bit of beef going into it. Um, NYXL has never won a regular season match against the Rain. The Rain has won every single regular season match against them. So NYXL is coming in with a little bit of a vengeance. Map 2, which was King's Row, and Map 3, which was Hanamura. 
Um, map two, Kings Road, the Atlanta Rain Picket after they lost to the New York XL on the first map. This is something that you don't see often. New York ran like a May Bastion comp um, with the double shield, um, very standard. But the Atlanta Rain went Reaper Genji. Now, we haven't seen Genji in quite a bit um, for a hot minute. But this first fight was very impressive. And it's something that like you don't you don't look at until you've like studied the film quite a bit. So Atlanta do this thing where they split up their team into two. They have the DPS and Masa, who was on the Lucio, um, go all the way around to flank Libro, um, Saviolbe, and Onimo, who are on the high ground, um, just raining damage as the... They were essentially Baptiste, Bastion, and the May were all on the high ground. And if you don't contest them early, they essentially have free reign to do whatever the hell they want. So it's unfortunate that they can just camp out, but... The rain were coming in with a plan. Um, meanwhile, the tank line and Dogman were on the point. And since the tanks are taking a lot of damage, Dogman's able to get a lot of healing off. They touch point because, you know, with tanks, you have a lot more HP. And they force contention. They essentially force the New York team to come down and fight them. At that point, um, the DPS line collapse on the tanks. And that leaves their backline exposed. So now it was just all... Baby Bay, Erster, and Masa on the flank to just get Sabiolbe and Animo out of the top. And their first push was very effective. They did it with 5 minutes and 17 seconds left on the clock. And that's something that I wanted to point out. It's just like, they're very good at utilizing their their splits. And it just proves that, you know, just because it's the meta doesn't mean that it's always uh, impregnable. It's easy to just push through. Um, if you know the right way to do it. Yeah, so Atlanta end up rolling off of that momentum and pushing on through um, through the second point. And then on the third point, um, they use a Reaver Blossom. Um, Urster ends up holding it off. Atlanta do a full push um, all the way to the end. New York attacks again. Um, so New York finally gets their attack. Um, they run, you know, Bastion Symmetra just to try to do the teleporting, uh, turret strat and it works out pretty well. Their initial push gets halted though. This is, this was another very good heads up play by Atlanta. Um, Pokepo ends up pulling, um, half of the team, half of, uh, NYXL off the high ground and Baby Bay was just sitting down in the bottom corner as the Reaper and just shreds through them. So their initial push, um, with the Symmetra Tele did not go according to plan um and it took them a little bit of time to figure that out um but they were able to push on through they ended up capping it um and they just roll in with momentum through point two which was the streets phase didn't really hold them up there and then the final push very scrappy fight very messy there wasn't a lot of like coordinated plays going out the stall from uh nyxl they had to go to desperation mode um, and Mecco went on to Hammond, ended up getting a minefield off in order to zone off the team and end up pushing to overtime. So proves, you know, just because you have to do desperation pushes doesn't mean that you can't win it. Atlanta has a very solid hold or Atlanta try to push and NYXL holds them off completely. They, they get through the first push, but they can't get, um, they get held up at streets phase pretty quickly. 
And then NYXL just rolls off that momentum and pushes it and wins the game that way. If anything, it shows that some of the strategies, these teams are getting creative. It's not, or at least the the Atlanta Reign are doing things that are outside of the meta and it's working. And it proves that, you know, with a little bit of balance, they're able to change up and do a couple of things differently. Um, and then map three, I, I'm just going to highlight Baby Bay here. Um, the They end up winning this uh, this game. Atlanta end up winning winning it, but it's only off of the fact that Baby Bay was playing something outside of the meta. Once again, um, it proves that just because there is a set meta doesn't mean that you have to stick to it. We don't usually get to see Ash. Um, it's just because of the hit scan uh, potential. Um, but Baby Bay utilized it to its fullest advantage, especially on Hanamura. It has a lot of edges that you can use um, and very long sight lines. So it's the same reason why Widow is very good on this map. Um, but the way how Baby Bay used Bob um, as a second hit scan um, really helped him out. So we saw moments where on point two, he would be on the high ground on the right side. He would throw out Bob into the corner um, on the high ground so that regardless of which way NYXL, if they wanted to contest the point, they had to deal with Bob. And Bob is all the way on the other side of the map. And you don't have on a sleep dart or anything to deal with him. He's just going to be raining damage in. Um, and because you're looking one way, Baby Bay could relocate and get headshots and utilize that whole... Utilize the map geometry in order to win the game. And he he was able to show off that Ash is a viable pick on Hanamura. Um, but now that he's shown that pick, um, you know that teams are going to be looking forward to trying to break that. Actually, NYXL um, do a lot of regrouping and figuring out how they're going to do it, how they're going to win the match. And they end up taking the series uh, 4-2. Um, so NYXL will end up facing the... Uh, vancouver titans in the upper or in the winner's bracket it, it was a lot to take away um if anything it shows that atlanta is willing to be creative um and do a lot of interesting and different non-meta picks um but new york excel is still a force to be reckoned with um they still have jonak um who's doing insane things he ends up 1v1ing baby bay at some point and winning the fight um, and then also denying the res from uh, Masa to follow up, which is impressive as just an Ana. Um, hopefully we get to see a little bit more of that creativity going into the lower bracket um, as the rain will end up facing against the spark. Um, the shock will end up facing off against the gladiators. And if, you know, we might be able to see that revenge match between the rain and the and the shock. They both face each other in this playoffs before, so hopefully uh, we get those uh, storylines and things that we could talk about going into that. But yeah, that wraps it up for playoff action. There was a lot going on, um, especially week two. We were going into week three knowing that NYXL and uh, the Vancouver Titans are going to be facing off in the upper bracket. And then we have the Shock and the Gladiators in the lower bracket, as well as the Spark and the Rain in the lower bracket. Um, I noticed, like, especially last week it happened, and this week it also happened a lot. 
Um, during the, the post interview with the player and then they're handing off the jersey and the fan comes up, um, they're pretty aggressive in forcing that hug. Um, it Some of the people look kind of awkward about it. Like some of the players look awkward about just hugging the random fan. Um, there are some fans who like didn't even want the hug. They went for a handshake and they were about to leave. And then the caster will kind of like, no, come back, hug, hug, hug. And I don't know. I felt it was a little bit weird. What did you have any feelings about that? Yeah, I I agree that like forcing the forcing the player to do like a hug or like a handshake or whatever. It's kind of it's awkward. Um, but I do understand if you want the photo op. I feel like it's just like make sure that they stick around for a picture. It doesn't have to be a hug or anything. Right. Just, just let the fan decide what they want. Just be like, hey, uh, we're doing a photo op. If you want to give the player a hug, like handshake, we all hand fist bump, whatever. Uh go for it that that's what i think the best way of like dealing with that is but i do understand if they are on a like on a short break or something like that um but yeah overwatch league can easily enforce that if they wanted to get the fans engaged they can they they should allow them to make the decision of what they want not the other way around i don't think there's even much of a of a way for either the player or the fan to say no at that point because they're so on the spot yeah, it's kind of awkward. Um, your hands are tied and you're on camera, so you talk to them ahead of time because you know they they won the lucky fan draw or whatever they have. Um, to say like, hey, when you get up there, there's gonna be a photo op. Um, you could opt in for you know a hug, a fist bump, or a handshake. Just let us know so we could let the player know ahead of time. And then yeah, when when the when the time comes, just go for it. So at least it's not flung on to the player and they don't know what the hell is going on so what do you think would happen if if a player refused to do the hug because i think i can see the fan oh. saying no hug and blizzard would probably let that go but what if one of the yeah. players said no i don't want to hug uh it'd probably just be bad pr for them but like at the same time like it's probably why like if let, let's just say if like one of the players is like a germaphobe or something like that like I don't think that the league should force that. It should just be something that's organic and comfortable for both sides. But I don't know how the league will be able to uh, deal with it. Hopefully they don't do, like, they don't go overboard, like how they did with, like, XQC's kind of deal, where they just like, mm -hmm. oh, yeah, you get suspended because uh, you didn't give a fan a hug. Uh, <laughs> that would be, that'd be really messed up. There's got to be a way to fix this. Um, if they do go into something like that. Okay, do you have anything else before we do we now do the, the next week bit? Uh I don't I don't think so. I think I I'm just ready for next week. Alright, so what what are we looking at next week, Kevin? So next week we will be finishing off the playoff run and we'll see who actually makes the trip to Philadelphia. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Like what you hear? Please like, rate, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. And follow us on all social media at Believe in OWL. That's B-L-E-A-V in O-W-L. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to send us an email at believeinowl at gmail.com. Interested in advertising with the show? please contact our network at believe.com. 
Thanks for tuning in and see you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.